Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we're so glad that you're here with us today for this po- another powerful yes, episode. <laughs> I say that every time, but this one especially, yeah. Micah McElveen, yeah. author, yeah. speaker, leader, mobilizer, had a near-death really experience at what, age 14? Yeah. yeah. And God has done incredible things through him. So he is, yeah. he's a mobilizer, right? Like, this, Davey, you even said you're going to like learn from him I mean, and... I'm like extremely excited when I get a chance to talk with him every time. He's very inspiring, very mm, motivating to talk yeah, to. Yeah. You're going to see this in this conversation. Um, but, you know, yes, we are going to go down and kind of learn from he and his and his team because there's a few steps ahead of nothing is wasted ministries. And so cool. um, he, they, he headquarters out of Alabama, but they have this. Um, uh, global ministry that really steps into these extreme, these places of extreme poverty in third world countries. Hmm. And they utilize sports as a means to get into that community, to serve that community, but then do all kinds of other things like, you know, uh, microloans and entrepreneurial training and enterprising stuff like that to help lift that area out of poverty. And so it's right up our alley. I mean, that's something that we love as a family, as a ministry to really invest into is, how do we help systemic poverty, not just in the United States, but also in Around third the world countries? Yeah. I mean, my dad grew up in Haiti as a missionary's kid. And so the fact that they're in Haiti, we just really uh, resonated with that. Yeah, you know? that connection so, there. Cool. So yeah, he's just a very, very inspiring person uh, to, to know and to have a conversation with. You're going to love this conversation. He's also written a book called Dying for Purpose, Light for mm-hmm. the Lost Directions for the Found. And like you said, the founder of Vapor Ministries. So yeah. I, I am excited for our people to listen to your conversation with him. But I want to read a review, Davey, because it was such a good one um, before we go mm-hmm. ahead and take a listen. This one is called Brought to Tears. And this was about um, an episode that we had with Dr. Mark Mayfield, which was another yeah. incredible one. <laughs> it was. Um, It says, I've been struggling with several things lately and finally pulled the plug to reach out to Counseling Center to see a therapist at dot, 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 Mayfield Counseling. To my surprise, I turn on Nothing is Wasted today. (laughs) And who are they interviewing? Dr. Mark Mayfield. Definitely felt this as a God wink. Isn't that amazing? That's wild. I think that is so cool that yeah. the Lord did that and then affirmed it through nothing is wasted. And then the person took the time to review the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And this is why, I mean, by the way, I, you know, I know sometimes reviews can feel like they're not important, but I mean like that, just reading that alone yeah, right. builds my faith, builds your yeah. faith, builds people's chills. faith. I've yeah. got like goosebumps right now. They're Holy Spirit goosebumps. And I'm telling you, I mean, when you when you read an Apple podcast review and you get Holy Spirit goosebumps, you know that that's yeah. Like there's there, there's something other than just a review in, the, in this this whole yeah. equation. There's you are helping right. to encourage other people. You are helping other people to to for this this podcast to become more accessible mm-hmm. to them. You're helping stir us up. Yeah. By the way, that happens so often in our stories, doesn't mm. it? That God uses the things that confound the wise, right? Like Mm. that's just a, the way that just worked out, like only God could do that. Only God, like that's not, it's either like 
okay, all of life is a happy accident or God is on the throne. Like when you hear things like that, you know what I mean? Like only God could orchestrate something like that, that here's Mark Mayfield on the exact same time this person Ugh. finally, you know, steps out in obedience to go to go to counseling. So what we're saying to you is we want you to review the podcast, yeah. not just because it helps the podcast, but yeah. like look at what the Lord does through that simple act of reviewing. Yes. Uh, and maybe so, tell so us powerful. some of your God wink moments that yeah, are coming out of this, right? Like I want to hear those things because mm. that makes my faith in the Lord grow. Yeah, that's why this that's podcast good. was started, Aubrey, was because I was interacting with people mm. who would tell me all these quote unquote, God winks in their story. And I'm going, wow. And it left me open to the fact that maybe there'd be some in my story. Mm. And so I was looking for it. I was looking for it. I was looking for God in my story. And when you look for God in your story, you're going to find him. You seek and you will find. You ask and the door will be open to you. That's exactly right. Yeah, so. that's exactly right. Mm. Well, uh, with all of the excitement and passion that we have, Davey, let's dive <laughs> into your conversation with Micah McElveen. Micah, it's so great to have you joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Glad to be with you, buddy. Man, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long, since the moment that we met at Mercy Road Church in Carmel, where I'm a, I serve as a teaching pastor. And, um, and, and I've been like, okay, this story is unbelievable, mm-hmm. but I want more than just the 30-minute, 25-minute version that, that we got. I want our listeners to just glean from you in the long-form version. So before we dive into your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself right now, kind of what you do, because what what you do in your life and who you are and stuff is such a reflector of what you've walked through uh, as this beautiful pain-to-purpose story. So tell us a little bit about modern-day Micah right now, and, and then we'll dive back into your story. Yeah, so I have the privilege of leading an entity called Vapor Ministries, and we meet needs, feed souls, and elevate God. Uh, and so we serve uh, the poorest of the poor in extreme poverty, uh, making sure that we're alleviating poverty, but we're also advancing the gospel and doing that in a way that brings glory to God. So uh, it's a it's a privilege to advocate on behalf of the less reached, underserved, and to serve the poorest on planet Earth. Mm, I love it. I love it. And we're going to dive into what all that entails here in just a little bit. But this whole thing started in some ways with a life-altering event. Um, an event that threatened to, to steal your life, right? Why don't you talk to us about that day and talk to us about what happened? Yeah, as you mentioned, so I had to die to come alive mm. to purpose. And uh, where I was at as a person was not where God intended me to be. Um, I had over time uh, really become so captivated with my agenda for my life, my goals, uh, my aspirations, that I really lost sight of the fact that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. Mm. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have uh, said it this way at the time, but it was all about my gain and my glory. And for me, ball was the, the, the path to get there. I uh, played quarterback, free safety, pitch, played shortstop. And my father could see that the game had become an obsession and that mm. I was just all in on me and came up to me after a practice and said, Hey, life isn't about a game. God's made you on purpose for a purpose. Mm. And success is selling out to God's plan for your life. And that's where I was confronted with the idea of, hey, uh, am I here for me or am I here 
for what he intends through me. And I didn't respond well. Wow. So your dad saw this in you and he's the one that had this first conversation with you. Yeah. My dad was dad, but he was also athletic director, head football and head basketball coach. Oh, wow. So he kind of had this front row seat to me becoming obsessed with what I did instead of uh, leaning into whose I was, whom I belonged to. Yeah. As you look back to that moment, right, as you look back to your dad saying this, do you think that this was, you kind of interpret it as like, this was God kind of giving me a, almost like a, hey, there's an easier way in this or, you know, because what came after that, it was certainly not an easy way. Yes. Yes. I I think you, you nailed it. Oftentimes in life, uh, there's olive branches coming our way. And Mm. I believe God is trying to get our attention in a number of ways. And he just loves us enough to be persistent and to break through in the ways that he needs to. Uh, But he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us. uh, His spirit speaks to us um, in conjunction with his word through his world, right? You have uh, people speaking wisdom into your life. Uh, Proverbs 1 tells us we can listen and learn. We don't have to live and learn everything. And really, my heart um, had hardened uh, to the point where after that conversation with my dad, uh, Thursday Thursday night, you know, we had a big football game Friday morning. It was about 2 a.m. I literally stood up in my room because I was in this wrestling match with God, and I said, God, this is my life, and this is what I want to do with my life. Uh, just leave me alone. Just let me do what I want to do. I mean, I wouldn't have said it this way at the time, uh, but I wanted Jesus to be Savior and me be Lord. And the hardness of my heart to his plan um, was was strong. Wow. Wow. What you said there that we can we can listen and, and gain wisdom rather than having to like... What, mm-hmm. what, how did you say that? You said we can... Yeah. So if you look at Proverbs 1, um, he's crying out to... Uh, wisdom is crying out and saying, hey, look, you can listen and learn. Listen. Uh, you don't have to live and learn everything, wow. right? And so in life, we want to learn from our human experience, right? Yeah. You want to, and God has made us, like you, you bang your, you, you're nailing in a nail and you bang your thumb and you learn from that, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to keep doing that. But he also has allowed us to have growth hacks, right? To accelerate yeah. our learning, our understanding through wise counsel. He says in the multitude of wise counselors, much wisdom yeah. uh, through his world, right? We learn by observing things around us. Uh, we, we learn through his word. And so for me, what was happening is, is I was being confronted with the wisdom of his word and then the wisdom through his world, people speaking into my life, mm. I was resisting. And so these olive branches that were being cast my way, I wasn't biting. And so uh, at that point, obviously, uh, God's God, he can do as he wishes, uh, and he can say, I'm done with you, or he can say, I'm going to break through the ice, and he knows how to do that. Oof. All right, so talk to us about that ice-breaking moment. It was actually not on ice. It was yeah. <laughs> quite the opposite. Tell, tell me what happened that day. Yeah, so I'm in that state. I'm in that posture. Uh, one day after practice, we decided to go catch waves. We lived out in Southern California, picked up surfing. We'd moved to Florida on the Gulf side and the Gulf of Mexico, there's not a lot of waves, uh, but when hurricanes kick up surf, you can ride. Mm. So we decided to go down, ride waves, and there was huge beach break. And my brother and I, we were racing to see you get to the water first and I was running as fast as I could 
this swell had reformed and just before it crashed and hit the beach, I threw my body, like running full tilt, the mm. wave coming hard at me, and I threw my body into it and I hit the water. And as soon as I hit the water, like like something happened. Wow. It was like a rush, like a this shock just just flew through my body. Uh, and instinctively I knew something was wrong uh, and I knew to lay still, but the momentum of the dive carried me through the water. And I remember being like groggy, I'm face down, something's off. And the next wave, it rolled me over. I could see the surface, I could see the air. But when I tried to get up, my body wouldn't work. And yeah, man, so it was pretty crazy, pretty hairy. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, what what happened? How did you get out of that? You know, I mean, this is a a dire situation. Mm -hmm. This is not like... Oh, we just, you know, I'm, I'm boogie boarding and I, you know, just happened to kind of get my, my face smashed into the, to the surf, but, but here I am, I'm fine. Right. This is, this was a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, I'm underwater looking up, my lungs are crying out for breath and there's nothing I can do. It's one of the most helpless feelings you can possibly imagine because everything in your being knows exactly what it needs. I need air. I need air now but nothing in my body would respond. And so I'm laying there, life is flashing in front of my eyes, and a last ditch effort, I put my lips together, but I caught water instead of air, and I passed out. My body was immediately caught in what's called a longshore current, uh, and so I began to be pulled under and down unconscious. So my brother, he saw me dive in, Uh, he doesn't think anything's wrong, he goes to get the football, After a few moments pass, he goes right to the place where I dove in, looks right down in the water, nothing. Mm -hmm. He thinks I'm playing a joke, and it snuck out and I'm in the bushes. So he's looking back behind him, and every moment that passes, I'm literally drowning. My parents, they dropped us off. Uh, They made their way down. They find my brother frantic, and then, you know, a mother's worst nightmare Uh, My mom, she just begins to scream at the top of her lungs, God, 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 don't take my son. And she just crumples to the sand. Um, They saw a stranger about 150 yards down the beach. Five to seven minutes later, he's lifting a hand on a corpse, and he's standing in a slack pool of water. So my father ran down, pulled me out of the surf, no heartbeat, no pulse, no function, uh, you know, no body functions. I'd flatlined. Uh, my brother got my mom up. They ran near his house, 911, yeah, EMTs, defibrillator, helicopter. Um, I don't remember much of the first week, but I was uh, choking on something, and I gagged too. Uh, and when I came to, um, I have no idea where I am. I can't move anything on my body. Uh, the first words out of my mouth, I could see my father in the corner of the room, and I said, how did I do in the game? And my dad <laughs> looks back. And he says, you didn't play. You broke your neck. Uh, So that's where I learned um, that I had died. uh, And that's where I learned that life was like a vapor. But it's also uh, the context um, through which uh, purpose uh, began to enter as well. And that would change everything. Jeez. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, hearing this the second time through, right, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through some details of your story and going, for, it's, it's an absolute miracle. Yeah. Between the time that you flatline, you're pulled up on the shore right here to the fact that, you know, they were able to 
lifeline you. I mean, even that span of time right there, you should have never survived in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you when you when you look through the lens of of science and and when you look at the whole story, there's there's you know there's so much of the hand of God. Uh, the miraculous, the unexplainable, it's on display. The, our neurologist, Dr. Castelvi at the time, um, who I do not believe was a professing believer, um, you know, he was counseling my family and he's just like, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, the the amount of oxygen that my brain was deprived of, um, the fact that I lived is unexplainable. The fact that I'm not a vegetable is unexplainable. The fact that I have mobility to the degree I have. The fact that I don't have brain damage, although my sister insists I do have brain damage, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that if I do, it's mostly been minimal. Uh, but yeah, it's you go through the facts, the science of it, and there's so much that you know they just have to throw their hands up and say, "We can't explain it. We just gotta, we just gotta live in view of it." Wow. Okay, so in a second, I want you to take me through some of the the spiritual, emotional recovery journey of this, right? Because this was this was life altering. This was this was calling altering. I mean, it reoriented everything about how you approach life, right? As you just said, living through the through the lens of this. But but what was the physical recovery like at first? Yeah, yeah. I really uh, I actually outline in in chapter three of dying for purpose in in greater detail than I ever have before um, some of the nuances of that and the reality is is that um, I can't hide behind the fact that the pain emotionally physically and spiritually was incredibly intense mm. um, I was in the hospital for the better part of two and a half months I was in a halo you can see the scars if you look close to my forehead uh, I was in a halo for three months and aspen neck brace for three months so I literally did not move my head for six months um, I was in a wheelchair for an extended period in uh, outpatient rehab for the better part of two years. And so, you know, depending on which angle you wanted to get into, the the volume of emotional, spiritual, psychological, um, physical pain, it was it was so intense and so immense for an extended period um, that it took a while to sort out. Uh, but God was doing great work. Uh, God was tending to. He was. He was teaching, uh, he was mending, he was healing, uh, but there was definitely a, a, a pain-ridden process that um, shaped uh, many things and helped uh, help weed some things out that had yeah. gotten into my heart and life that shouldn't have been. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, the emotional and spiritual kind of recovery? You know, what, what was the time frame where you, as you're saying, your, your words right there that God was weeding some things out, you know, where, where did you go from this? Like I'm bent on my own agenda, my own destiny and what I want to do, right. God just let get out of my life kind of thing Yeah, yeah. to shift to like, no, I am, I am, my entire life is built around kingdom work and, and helping other people, you know, that's a drastic yeah. shift. And obviously it's a life altering situation that caused that, but mm -hmm. there had to have been a little bit of a journey there to reorient you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the front side of the journey, uh, the physical pain, the emotional pain and the spiritual pain were also intertwined because mm -hmm. there was an element of, of survival and pain management yeah. um, it, that's, at a, that's at an extreme level. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like before you even get to the phase of 
you know, repair and um, turning it into meaning and purpose, there's an element of you that you're your body, your senses, everything is on such overload. You're in trauma mode. And so the, the first period was, was that, I mean, my, my body is atrophying. I can't touch my face. I'm, I have the nerve endings are firing. It would feel like my feet are on fire. Um, I'm having chronic and intense pain all through the night. So literally was this writhing pain where initially I'm battling with, um, just a desire to not be here. I mean, uh, you know, people talk about like, hey, you know, um, I, I was hurt so bad or something happened in my life. I just wish I were dead. And I'd probably said that before. But there is a total difference from a casual statement like that to being in a place where you're in such intense trauma yeah. that you would gladly choose death over life. And and I outline um, three dreams that I had that were so real and so intense in which I got to choose death in those dreams. And I actually went through death. I was shot in the head in one. Mm. I was electrocuted in one. And then the other, there was a car wreck that, I mean, I can remember them like they were yesterday. Wow. And I was, it was happening in ICU. And in each of them, like, I was so glad that I died. I was being absorbed into light. But I wow. woke up in the hospital bed and I woke up saying, no, 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 no. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in this body anymore. And so wow. there's this period of, again, the physical pain with the emotional experience of loss. I can't, I can't. I'll never play ball again. I don't know how to make friends and who am I? I'm going to be quadriplegic for the rest of my life. And then spiritually, like, why is this happening to me, God? And where are you? And, mm. and are you mad at me? Because I ran from you. You know, it's, it's all mixed, but again, you're in this, you're in this like trying to survive, don't want to survive, you know? And so that period was probably the better part of a few months uh, and then it started moving into, um, you know, different stages, which of course we can unpack if you'd like, but yeah. to get to your point, uh, you know, initially that first round, there was so much trauma yeah. that was so real in every part, mind, body, soul, uh, that it was disorienting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, again, like I wanted it to do me under, it didn't mm -hmm. almost do me under, like I was begging, like, please God. And by God's grace, He carried me through that and and began to to send me into another stage. So wow, yeah, I want to get in a, to those stages in a second. I want to unpack them. But one of the benefits that we have looking back on our journey mm -hmm. is that we're able to see, as long as we see it through this lens, as long as we see it through what we call a good eye, right? Jesus says the yeah. eye is the lamp to the body. As long as you're going, hey, what's the redemptive nature of what I'm walking through here? That's right. You can look back and say at every stage and at every phase. God was not only present, but he had a purpose for that stage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. What would you say in that stage? I mean, this excruciating, horrific, awful, trauma-filled stage that was so disorienting. Now looking back on it, what would you say, hey, this was kind of God's purpose for that stage of recovery for me? Yeah, I'd say there was multiple things, but if I were to have to highlight probably the primary thing, I would say dependency. Mm. Um, you know, I think there is an illusion of independence. Mm -hmm. We're Americans. We celebrated Independence Day. We're self-made people. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I was the quarterback in free safety. I was the point guard. I was the pitcher. I was the shortstop. Yeah. You know, I'm going to pay my own bills. Like I, I, me, 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 me. And the reality is, is I never sustained the breath in my lungs. I didn't give myself the physical frame that allowed me to play in those positions. Uh, the intellectual ability I had, yeah, you build on it, but you don't you don't make the raw materials. 
Um, and so the concept of being independent from God is actually is actually a concept that is not grounded in reality. Mm. Meaning, yes, we can be apart from God, like not um, his, you know, spiritually connected through him through Jesus, but our atoms are held together by him. Um, we're, we are cancer free at his good pleasure. Uh, my breath, my, my chest goes up and down based upon a whole series of things that I have no part in. And so the, the place where I was in prior was like, it's me, I'm it, God, I don't need you. I had no idea what I was talking about. Wow. And so when you're, when you're quadriplegic and you can't touch your face and you have to breathe in a tube if if the tube stays close to your face to get somebody to come scratch your nose or to wipe your butt mm. or to help you know empty your catheter well you learn something about dependency pretty quick and wow. so for me as a young man um that was a massive groundbreaking you are god um i am here at your good pleasure um i i cannot sustain my life or any of the faculties that you freely granted me and should you give any of that back, um, I am here at your good pleasure. So many lessons taught, but I'd say if you were to if you were to say kind of a primary, a very independent, foolish young man was being taught um, some Job lessons, right? <laughs> Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, right? Where were you, Michael, when I gave your lungs ability to breathe? And where were you? Um, how how could you create that ability to rebreathe when you were in the water? desperately needing breath. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything about it, uh, but I'm still here. So that, wow. that would, that, that's what comes to my mind. So, geez, you know, it's so interesting to me. I mean, how many times do we shake our fists at God when something goes bad, when it, when yeah. it seems like he's disappointed us or not lived up to our expectations of him. And yet the reality is, is just as you said, we're cancer free by his good pleasure. Yeah, like that's right. yeah. the things that are constantly going right for us that God is sustaining right? That's just so fragile. I mean, life in and of itself is so fragile. This is the whole nature of your ministry. It's, it's mm. but a vapor. Yeah. And, and yet we, we just kind of go about our normal mode of operation, not even acknowledging that most of the time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's where I really say, I totally understand that we can be apart from God, that we are apart from God without his son, but we are never in our lives functioning independently of God. In wow. the sense of there is nothing that we, we, we literally can do nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing. Not only am I nothing without Christ, even if I never acknowledge God's existence, like I exist at his good pleasure. Wow. Like I don't control my existence in that sense. Wow. You know, Micah, a lot of people who have undergone some kind of a tragedy or, you know, some trauma has surfaced and now it's like spilling over in their life. That's, those are the folks who are listening to this right now. They would have, they would be able to say, hey, yeah, on some level, I've experienced that kind of immediate aftermath of mm -hmm. this like deep, dark night of the soul where I'm, you know, I'm like, man, I'm getting taught these dependent versus independent type lessons. But then the stage often shifts right? Where no longer is it so, is it just so disorienting to just try to manage the pain and figure out, you know, what just happened and figure out this new normal. You start to kind of lean into some of the, the spiritual, we call it the classroom of pain, right? The things that God is teaching you mm. and, and then what he wants to do out of that. Can you take me into kind of some of the next stages for you of that recovery process, the, the emotional and spiritual? Yeah. So if you kind of start with, Hey, Micah, I am God and you need me. 
then it becomes, okay, God, I hear you. Um, you've obviously kept me alive. Mm. Why? Why am I here? Um, what do you want me to do with that? And how do I take this second chance and invest it instead of waste it? Because mm. if you were wow. to sum up the path I was on, like my gain, my glory, should he have allowed me to stay on that path, I'd get to the end and it'd have been a waste. Mm. Uh, no matter how many zeros I had behind my name or plaques on the wall or what, I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. I may I may have made, you know, uh, AAA nothing, right? In my mind, I was a light-skinned Deion Sanders who's going big, but but let's say I made that. Um, for me, my gain, my glory, that's nothing. It's worthless. Mm -hmm. But And that would be the waste. But if I'm able to invest it, God, your gain, their glory, I mean, your uh, their gain, your glory. Yeah. So who in this world do you want me to touch and reach? Like, if, if if I live for that and I'll get to the end, whether I'm a popper or have a few zeros, it doesn't matter. Like I've invested my life in the mm. people that he wanted to touch and in a God who deserves ultimate glory. And I'll get to the end and uh, no matter, again, a, a plaqueless wall, no followers on Instagram, um, but full of purpose and impact. Mm. Heck yeah, bring it on. And so... It, it, it started to shift from, okay, you who is and who sustains my life, you have me for a reason. Help me understand what matters most to you. Mm. Um, help that to resonate in my being. Mm. Give me desire for that. And then help me align my life with pursuing the things that you say will matter when my life is done. And so that became the process, an alignment process. So this idea of, okay, what you're, you can either waste your life, mm -hmm. right? Or you can invest it. Life is a vapor. That's a reality. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's, there's no getting around that, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many conversations I have with folks who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they talk about how brief life has felt to them. Yeah. When you're in your 20s, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. But when you're right. on that side of things, it's like, holy cow, I blinked and I'm here all, all of a sudden, right? I'm almost 40, so I'm feeling that. I'm like whoa, this is going fast, right? So there's the waste or invest. What you're saying, you're not saying that wasting only comprises people who just kind of sit on their hands or they're apathetic or they, it, it also comprises people who are pursuing the wrong things, right? They're climbing up the proverbial ladder, but they find that the ladder's on the wrong wall. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wood, hay and stubble uh, burns up in the end. Um, and I would say that's a waste. Wow. Wow. So then for you, it was like, okay, I'm going to start investing in things that are going to matter in the yep. end. And what, what, what did that materialize into for you? Yes. Like, as you're going like, well, as you're searching for that, as you're kind of, you know, I'm sure there was probably a little bit of a hunt at first. Like, well, what, mm -hmm. what matters in the end? What did you begin to discover? Yeah. So the process for me was, okay, you're God and I need you. Okay. Life's a vapor. Okay, I want to waste it. I want to invest instead of waste it. So show me what investing it, living for that which will matter forever. Like, show me how to do that. Like, mm. what do you say, God, because you're eternal, like, what do you say won't burn up? What mm. do you say will matter forever? And um, I don't want to, um, like, for me, I like to think in kind of irreducible minimum. How do you kind of sum things up? 
And um, the Word of God is powerful. It's complete. Uh, it's exhaustive. It hits on so many things. But I begin to see these irreducible minimums. Uh, and in my little pea brain, in my small mind, there was three things that became clear to me in God's Word. And you can say them in different ways. But the first was God's heart for the poor. Uh, some may say to love your neighbor, to love your fellow man. Over 2,000 times in God's word, he says, care for the poor. So say that however you want, but it became clear to me that he cares about the physical needs of others, mm. and he has called people who love him and want to follow him to care about the hurting. I mean, Jesus, his first message, right? I came to set the captive free, to serve the poor, right? To break the bonds, the chains, you know? So um, you've got that, that element. So, okay, I need to be about meeting needs. Mm. The second thing that I began to see clearly in Scripture um, was since the fall of man in Genesis 3, God's been after something. He's been redeeming a lost and traitor race to himself, right? And he, yeah. he calls those who are found by God to go and join his rescue team. Yeah, And so um, meet needs but feed souls, right? Make disciples, mm -hmm. advance the gospel, however you want to say it. So these two things became primary for me. How do I, I invest my life by intentionally pursuing the good of my neighbor, caring for the poor, mm -hmm. and advancing the gospel, making disciples, right? Meeting needs. But I also begin to see that ultimately, um, all things roll up into, all things end in the glory of God. Everything that lasts is ultimately that which is done to the glory of God. And, you know, Paul says, uh, whether I eat or drink, I do all things for the glory of God. Wow. We see in Revelations, in the end, um, every people, every tongue, every tribe, uh, the elders, we see the angels all bringing praise to God. And so that's the last piece, elevate God. So at Vapor, wow. we sum it up with meet needs, feed souls, elevate God. So in my journey, I saw in his word for me to invest my life it needs to be helping my fellow man, serving the poor. Yeah. It needs to be making disciples, right? Advancing the gospel. And it needs to be done in a way that elevates God. And so that's those three irreducible minimums uh, began to direct my life, uh, began to become the litmus test for am I investing it? And it ultimately in time began to shape um, how, how I pursue my life professionally and then shaped the forming of the ministry I now lead. Mm. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want I want to the next twenty minutes or so. I I want to I want you to describe the ministry that you lead, what all you guys do, and then I want to reverse engineer it a little bit. Okay, because sure. because when people hear about like when I heard about and we've gotten a window into what you guys do, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is and 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 this is this massive, huge undertaking. Mm. massive organization, huge impact, big, big, big purpose. Right. So, but, it, but it didn't just like all of a sudden come overnight. Yeah. And so I want to, I want you to describe it. And then I want to reverse engineer a little bit of that process because there are people who are listening to this and sometimes they think, okay, the only way I can live out some kind of purpose or redemption is if you know, one plus one equals two. I've got to go and build this massive infrastructure, this huge organization, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to, I want to kind of dive into some of that stuff. So describe what you guys do. Let us get kind of 
in some ways, I'm sorry, but wowed by this. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is incredible what you guys do. But then let's talk about some of the nuances and the principles surrounding how how what led you to that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, God is doing incredible things through 540 team members that are all uh, team members here at Vapor that are serving around the world right now. And so we go into the poorest places on planet Earth, uh, we buy property, and then we build out a ministry center. And the ministry center will have poverty alleviating outlets, right? We're meeting needs. So that's water, food, education, and health services. The ministry center will have disciple-making outlets. So we have thousands of people being uh, uh, mentored, discipled. So it's gospel-centered evangelism, edification, and equipping uh, using the relevant tool of whatever the sport they love is a primary vehicle to make mm-hmm. disciples. And and then we uh, start micro-businesses that help create jobs for people and produce products locally. Um, so as a ministry, uh, we're meeting needs, feeding souls, elevating God, and we're doing that through the establishing of sustainable centers designed to alleviate poverty and multiply disciples in third world environments. So that's a bit of a mouthful, uh, <laughs> but we're doing that right now in East Africa. Uh, we're doing that in West Africa. We're doing that in Haiti. And the sum total of the impact um, on a weekly basis um, that happens because of amazing donors that support us and amazing team members that execute. Uh, the impact is we're touching hundreds of thousands of lives on a weekly basis. So if you were to sum up Vapor, 540 team members, a bunch of amazing donors serving hundreds of thousands of the poorest every week. Uh, And the vision God has given us uh, in the future is much greater than what we're doing today. And we believe over the next 10 years, we'll we'll be directly impacting millions of lives in the poorest places and the least reached places in the world. Wow. Wow. And, and if you're you're listening to this on podcast, I want you to go over to YouTube and I want you to watch this because we're, we're putting some B-roll of the just kind of because when I saw like some of the flyovers of what you guys do, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing. One, because I'm a I'm an athlete nut. Right. Like I same thing. I grew up playing ball, played ball through college and. And always thought, man, there's, there's got to be a way that this can be leveraged mm-hmm. to help people, right? And to introduce them to Jesus, right? This is an inroad That's into right. doing that. You're taking your background, you're taking yeah. what you loved and what you thought was going to terminate in your own glory, and you're using it as a tool to leverage God's glory Yes, and the good exactly. of other people. The very thing that was taking me from him because I was misusing it, is now something that he is using to draw people to him. And as you mentioned, um, sport, so we're not a sports ministry. It is a tool we use inside of a toolkit, but it's a powerful tool. Um, And it's a powerful cross-cultural tool because every culture has some form of sport. And what it allows us to do is enter a society on a level playing field. Uh, we're not trying to change their culture. We're not trying to change all their customs. We're finding common ground, uh, a level playing field. And then we're building upon that connection, that human reality of we can relate over this. We can sp- speak the same language there. And then the gospel is entering in, help mm. and care. And and so it bec- it helps us uh, be a, not not an ethnocentric ministry. We're not we're not a colonial model. Uh, it's actually a ministry that is built from the people, from the local space up, uh, yeah. that does not compromise the word of God. 
That's so good. That terminology, break, unpack that a little bit, the, the colonial model, right? I, yeah. I know what you're talking about there, but there might be people watching this, listening to this. They have, they're like, what do you mean by that? There's a, there's a, a, a very clear distinction between what you yes. guys do and that model, and it's very purposeful. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit nerding out inside of the concept of moving into another culture. But, you know, once God convinced us that we were supposed to go amongst the least reached, the extreme poverty, right, places in West Africa, East Africa, we're serving people that are trying to survive on less than $1.25 a day. We're walking into contexts that have a very different cultural environment. Their contexts are different. And my job isn't to colonize, right? To make them Americans, right? Like they don't need to be Americans. Um, they have beautiful cultures that were, were God, you know, breathed from my right. perspective. Right. What we are trying to do is draw everybody to the person of Jesus Christ who transcends any one culture, color, ethnicity, right? In the end, mm. it's uh, people from every tribe, tongue, gathered around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb. It's not an American gospel. And yeah. so when we move into other contexts, other cultures, we try to not be ethnocentric, like that our culture, our ethnos is the superior one. It's the culture of the kingdom that is supreme, yeah. and all other cultures submit to that. So we try to be careful when we enter environments that are unlike our own um, to make sure that we do not compromise the word and we do not mm. compromise the gospel in any way, but we set aside um, cultural preferences uh, that may not be best deployed in that context. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. And what you're doing in that is you're right. You're not a sports ministry. It's one of the tools. Mm-hmm. Really, the thrust of your ministry is exactly what you said. You're, you're, you're trying to meet needs, right? And that's kind of an inroad into them, ultimately to share the gospel with them so that the, the spiritual need is met, but then also creating sustainable models that's right. or helping that's right. them to create sustainable models. Yes. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know that conversation is is beginning to have some momentum, especially in church circles where it's like, hey, we're not just going to come in and like, you know, do a bunch of handouts and, and you mm-hmm. know, just do a, a VBS in, in this and, and kind of give a bunch of candy out and then we're, yeah. we're out, right? That's not what this is all about. This is about really helping them to come out of poverty. That's right. By building a model. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, it's a, it's a hand up instead of a hand out. Um, and it allows us to be culturally pertinent, culturally effective. And then it allows people to raise up in that context and make it their own. So the vast majority of our team members are Kisi's, Kumba's, Kalenjin, Luul's. They're Awe and Ga-speaking West Africans, uh, Kenyans from various tribes. They're Creole-speaking Haitians. So our teams are actually comprised of people from the locale, indigenous men and women that speak the language, drink the water, understand the culture, who share our values and have been raised up. And and you can't get that if you're colonizing. Because if you're colonizing, you're, you require, you know, your culture being transported over there and you're training people to try to become what they're not culturally wow. um, versus we're actually, we're on your ground and this is a level playing field and you, you don't have to give up, um, your nationalism. Like you don't have to give up your tribe and your nationality. You're just ultimately elevating Jesus Christ, which we should be elevating Jesus Christ over our cultural norms too. And, and together we're building something that is cross-cultural. And so that's key for what we do. 
And uh, by the end of the next 10 years, Lord willing, we'll have over a thousand team members in order to achieve the vision he's given us. And they'll, they will be coming from all these different contexts. And again, we can't do that if we're trying to make people Americans. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful yeah. to be an American. I love my country. Uh, but I'm, my goal is not to go and, and, and function in some political yeah. arena uh, right. transporting America. It's kingdom values. And That's so when so I go to that context, I'm an ambassador of the king first and foremost. Mm. Well, and what's important about that is you can learn some things and extract some things from other cultures Absolutely. That we just don't have context for in yes. the United States. I think about that in terms of suffering, right? Yeah. I mean, Micah, you've yeah. seen probably some of the most intense mm -hmm. suffering stuff that we yeah. don't see in the United States. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure it has taught you a ton mm -hmm. about the Lord, about yourself. Can you, can you tell me, how do you see that yeah. suffering and, you know, what, uh, how do you see it now? after having filtered it through observing other cultures and their suffering. And how is that different than how we suffer in the United States or our perspective yes. of it? Yeah. Last I checked life expectancy in the U S I think was 77. I think it's a little north of that. We're working in environments where life expectancy on average is less than 40. It is in the forties, low forties, um, average household income. Uh, we work in the ninth poorest country in the world. Average household incomes uh, around $400 a year. Um, so the mortality rates amongst children, people dying from the inability to, to buy $2 worth of medicine, um, the inability to access clean drinking water today, like what people are facing as far as hardships, uh, put a lot of my problems into, uh, first world problems, right? Mm -hmm. It gives the context for that. And so suffering's real. I mean, mental uh, illness is real. Um, physical, psychological, spiritual pain is borderless, but I think, for me, being able to uh, walk alongside and and share the burden of people that are dealing with um, daily challenge and trauma on another scale, that are waking up uh, with no running water, um, their dirt floors, uh, entire home five by or pardon me ten by ten, crawling out of cardboard boxes and dumps, like that all of a sudden puts my problems in a different you know puts sheds a different light on my problems. Yeah. And and what it does is 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 it allows us to um, to to connect around how do we with different struggles and different trials come together um, for greater purpose. And so the brokenness that I felt, um, the suffering and the pain that I experienced, while it's different than what my brothers and sisters in West Africa are experiencing, the fact that I walked through dark nights, the fact that mm -hmm. I've experienced uh, intense physical need helps me be a little more relatable in that mm -hmm. context, even though um, I'm not experiencing the same things. I have experiences that help me have some empathy and not just sympathy. Yeah, that's so good. Whew, that is like... That's huge. That's that. and and then you you actually hit on something that I think is key too. That was the umbrella principle uh, that was in 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 the in the message that we were talking about there. I think one of the things is American Christians that we need to understand is because uh, it's a it's a cultural like because the kingdom transcends our culture. Right, the Gospels were written in the Middle East, like most of them, right? And not the United States. Yeah, yeah, not in um, Middle Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, it, we have to remember that um, the the kingdom of of heaven transcends any one culture. That's right. And anywhere where the gospel has spread, the the cultures and customs 
um, will have, um, they will be able to help people more naturally align with some of the truths of God's word. And then there'll be other things because of their cultural customs that'll make it harder for them culturally to embrace other aspects. So like, for instance, we live in a very materialistic capitalistic society. Mm -hmm. And I happen to believe that capitalism is a fallen form of government. It just happens to be the best of the fallen forms of government, in my opinion, right? Right, right. But with that, I have to understand it's going to be hard for me to, to have the kingdom perspective yeah. as it pertains to what money was actually given to us for in the first place. Um, and so, so my Christianity, it will, I will have to overcome some cultural barriers based off of my cultural context. Whereas I have other brothers that their struggle isn't really around money. It's maybe around having too many wives because mm-hmm. in their custom, um, you know, that's, that's very normal. Right. Right. So so I think the point of all that is, is we actually have a lot to learn from each other, both in strengths and weaknesses. Mm. When we understand we're as Christ followers, each of us have strengths and weaknesses. And some of our weaknesses and some of our strengths can actually come to us through cult- cultural norms that form just living everyday life in a context. That's so good. That's so good. I love too what you said about how seeing other people in different contexts of suffering, especially, you know, in third world countries, mm it really sheds some light on our own suffering. And, you know, we talk about a lot like, hey, we shouldn't compare pain, right? In fact, comparing pain can honestly cause us to diminish our pain, which means that we don't address our pain, which means we don't get healing from our pain, right? So I'm consistently telling people, no matter what you've gone through, you need to address your pain. Viktor Frankl described it as like, the, the gas chambers he observed in Auschwitz, that pain is just like when gas fills up a chamber. It's like you said, borderless. It fills the whole thing up, right? Pain yeah. fills up your faculties, no yeah. matter how big, small your capacity is to handle it. That's pain. Pain is pain. And yet at the same time, I found, Micah, that having a perspective of someone else's pain and entering into that pain with somebody yes. else, somehow it gives me, it reorients me around maybe the macro narrative of pain, maybe the incarnational suffering of Christ. So it's such that it it almost brings purpose to my pain and helps me not see it as so big. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's very gospel centric. Christ suffered for us. Yeah. He went through pain and therefore he is the sympathetic high priest that That's enters right. our suffering and our pain and redeems it. And he then calls us to with empathy where we can, and definitely with sympathy, enter and share the burdens of, of those that are hurting around us. And to your point, um, seeing other people's pain should not lead us to not address our own, but it does give a broader context and it reminds us we're not alone yeah. and it can bring purpose to it. I mean, the fact that I had and have a limp is actually the reason brothers and sisters in East Africa, West Africa, who have no reason to relate to this Mzungu, this white man who is not from their context, but all of a sudden, man, you know, yeah, we we have more in common than we thought. Right, right. That's so good. So <clears throat> the way that you guys approach this is, you know, you have some organizations that they they're they really focus on one side of the spectrum. It's just meeting the physical needs. Mm-hmm. Some organizations really focus on the other side of the spectrum, right? Meeting spiritual needs. Yeah. You guys are trying to marry the two. Absolutely. Can you t- talk to me about why that is the case and why you feel like that's so important in marrying the two of those. Yeah. So first, why? 
Um, I don't make the rules. <laughs> right? I mean, we said there was a God, yep. and we said that he's, he's the one who gives the marching orders. He's the one who said 2,000 times, care for the poor. Wow. So what right do I have to turn around and say, as a believer, I'm not going to care for the physical needs, uh, maybe because of some social gospel or uh, an over-response to liberalism or whatnot. And I recognize that there's plenty of things that can drive a Bible-believing Christian to say, hey, I don't want to be them, but I don't. I can't get caught in all that noise. I got to look at the red letters. I got to look mm. at the life of Jesus. I got to look at the Bible and say, independent of what's in vogue, what's not, what's in, what's out, what he said, she said, that I'm accountable to him and for how I responded to the master's commands. The master mm. said care for the poor. So first and foremost, the second piece of that is, is because, come on, yeah. we're people. Yeah. Like just because I don't have all the physical sufferings and needs, right? Like that can blunt, that can blunt me to basic human realities. Mm. So I describe it this way. Um, your son comes to the yard and the neighbor boy comes to the yard and they've been running around and they're dehydrated and they say, daddy, daddy, Please, can you get a cup of water for my brother? Can you get a cup of water for my friend? No good dad looks and says, hey, I'm sorry, I'll share the gospel with him, mm. but I'm not going to give him a bottle of water. We know that it is right yeah. to meet that basic need when we see somebody suffering, but somehow we overthink it mm. when it comes into this broader outreach, right? So it's not biblical and it's not human to only care about the spiritual need. Now, it's also, if we truly love people and we're believers, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Don't use that verse to say, therefore, be disobedient to 2,000 scriptures. Mm. It's just simply use that scripture to say, you should, you should give your neighbor water. And you should also take every opportunity to point him to the living water. Mm. So said simply for us, it's not an either-or option. I either care for the man or for the soul. It's not, there's no either or option. Yeah. It's a both and command. I both love the person's soul and the person's body. And that's just what Jesus did. Wow. Jesus, that was Jesus's style. And so in short, as an entity, I don't, I'm not responsible for anybody else. I'm not responsible for anybody else's work. I oversee this work. Yeah. And, and we want to be obedient and we want to be effective uh, and and we want to get to the end and hear well done. Mm. And I think well done rests on the backside of the purpose-filled pathway. Mm. And I believe that a purpose-filled pathway aligns with the creator's design. And so we want to listen to his marching orders. That's so good. Wow. I hope every single one of you guys are like taking copious notes right now because the <laughs> things that you're saying, Micah, are... They're just, they're, they're packed full of richness inside, underneath every one of these things, right? That, that the Lord is the one who lays out the path of purpose for us. This is not something that we just conjure up by ourselves. Again, that would be reverting back to your life before this right. crazy life-altering event. It, it, it's, well, I'm going to figure this out myself. And yet that's the human tendency is for us to that's go, right. oh, cool. Thanks, God, for bringing me through that. Now I'm going to strategize my way through this. That's right, yep. Rather than looking to Him for the cues. And that, and that leads me to this, you know, really, I think, pivotal part of this conversation is that we know, and we talk about this all the time, nothing is wasted, that God wants to bring purpose out of your pain. And yet purpose can look very different for everybody. 
That's right. For some people, it can look like leading an organization of 540 team members all across, you know, mm-hmm. spread across the world. And, you know, and for others, it can it can look, at least in the world's term, a lot smaller than that. And yeah. yet it doesn't lack for meaning. It doesn't lack for significance. Talk to me a little bit about how do you, as, as you're kind of in that purpose-filled journey, how do you decide, man, I want to repurpose my pain, this thing I've gone through. Um, but what, it, but you know, does that mean I'm supposed to build an organization like Micah or like nothing is wasted, you know, like Davey has, or, or what am I, what's my next step? How do I actually start walking this pathway? And, and how do I know to what degree is this supposed to look? Yeah, I think the, I think there's a lot in your question and it's a really great one. Others, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's about faithfulness. Mm. Um, so if you progress through, it's like, God, what do you say matters to everyone? It's like, what does your word say independent of me? Um, cause, cause we're all called, uh, we're all like his word is infallible. It's forever. And yeah. it was true for Moses. It was true for David. It was true for Paul. It was yeah. true, you know, for me and for Davy. And so each of us have to look into the word of God and say, what is it that you say independent of my culture, independent of my person? Like, what do you say? independent of my wishes, wants, and desires. Then we begin to say, Holy Spirit, show me how I am to buy down your truths uniquely through the vessel of my life. Mm. Because the word transcends all of us, but each of us as individuals are wonderfully and fearfully made. We've been wired uniquely by God. Uh, David says, he knit me together in my mother's womb. So there's personalization there. So so now as a person in my context, I'm saying, show me how to buy that down, show me how to live that out. And once he begins to show that, and that can manifest itself in so many different ways. I mean, loving your neighbor, caring for the marginalized and the hurting can be food shelters, right? right. It can be creating a business that employs people right. and, and, and reaches people in your business, right? It can be, it can be fighting for the unborn. It can be running a business to, to generate revenue for it. It can be being a missionary in Africa, right? So it's going to be personalized, but so there's an element that's true for all of us. It's going to be personalized. And then from there, for me, it's once God begins to give clarity, you're leaning in on the Holy spirit, you're looking into his word. Then it's about faithfulness. So show up every day and chop wood, do Mm. your part. And if it's be, if it's, I'm a stay at home mom, which I'm not, but if you're a stay at home mom or stay at home dad, that is tying that job to this transcendent purpose, then it's every day Mm. sowing in and being faithful right there. And there's a cumulative effect. There's a compounding interest um, that pays downstream to sustained faithfulness that is faithfulness against intentional purpose that ties to everlasting outcomes. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to be faithful every day. Um, I'm not going to be comparing my calling against somebody else's. I'm going to be faithful to what God's given me, and then He will produce fruit from that, and I'll give account for that. Wow. I'm not. I'm not going to give an account for what Davy did with his life. I'm going to give an account for what I did with my life. And if we're comparing notes, it's to sharpen each other. It's to encourage each other. It's mm. not the way the the world compares. It's not about me puffing myself up or lowering myself because what you are or aren't doing. Uh, it's about how do we sharpen each other. Yeah. But I'm 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 living before I'm living before an audience of one. Mm. I'm accountable to an audience of one. 
And he's equipped me. He has called me. I do my best every day before him. And I'm not responsible for anybody else in that sense. Yep. Yep. Man, that's what I love about, you know, Paul tells Timothy, carry out your ministry. That's right. Yeah. Right. He didn't say carry out a big ministry, carry out a small ministry, carry out a overseas ministry, carry out a domestic ministry. He didn't give particulars. He said, carry out your ministry. That's right. Yeah. And and I believe that small is big. Um, Even in, if you look at big and effective entities, there's a lot of small inside them. That's right. There's an accountant in our office that is finding purpose that every day is counting every bean and is making sure every single dollar goes exactly where it's supposed to go. We have engineers and architects. We have, and, and the, the day in and day out, even if somebody looked at my day in and day out job, they may say that feels relatively mundane, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're drafting notes and you're forming speeches and you're, you're holding team members accountable and you're, you know, we have payroll that we're managing and we're doing performance evaluations. Like, but the whole point is, is every single part, every piece done faithfully before God comes together to produce something that's bigger than any one of us could do a part. And so faithfulness is key. I love that. I love that. Man, Micah, you've got this book, Dying for Purpose. Yes, sir. You've released this thing. Um, It's an unbelievable book. It gives us a little bit more of a window into all of this, your story, your journey, the purpose that God has unfolded out of this. What is your desire for the reader when they pick this thing up? Yeah, you know, there's kind of three outcomes that we hope organically happen. And so two of them are actually on the cover of the book, Light for the Lost Mm. and Directions for Found. And so Dying for Purpose, and we hope that that people come to it and they see Jesus in a unique way that helps point them to the light of Christ. Mm. Um, it's not a preachy book, uh, um, although I love preaching and teaching. Um, it's something that somebody who does not know Christ could pick up and be moved by and enjoy and hopefully see Jesus. Uh, but it's also created to be provide directions for found. Like it's packed with principles in story form that help people latch on to truths that can help them find their purpose. And then the subtle kind of third piece, um, for some people, it'll help connect them. Uh, it's not a sales pitch, but it'll help connect them with the cause that, that maybe the Lord is leading them to engage in. And so there are elements of vapor in the ministry that are on display, but it's not a brochure. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's really a tool that's designed to come alongside and help enrich somebody's life that they can walk in their purpose. And as you mentioned, um, you know, sometimes we have to die to come alive to purpose, and that's why we called the book Dying for Purpose. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you physically died to come to purpose, yeah. but every single one of us, that is our pain journey, right? There's a dying that is happening, and, and it's, a, it's right and good and true. Jesus said, unless a single seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. And in our pain journeys, every single one of us, there's something that has to die. There is an old self. There is some kind of thing that cannot go with us into the next phase of what God has for us. And so it's got to be put to death. And continually every day we're taking up our cross and putting those things to death so we can become more like the image of who Jesus is and bear that image to the world. Michael, you're doing an unbelievable job of that. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud to be your friend. To proud say of you I too, know brother. You. Proud of you too. Oof. It is just, this conversation has been awesome. Where can we follow you? Where can we, uh, you know, just get more of a window in? Obviously, we're going to put all this in the show notes so people can 
you know, they can go and track down vapor ministries and they can be a part of it and they can, you know, give to it or volunteer. How can people just follow and become more part of what you're doing? Absolutely. So follow you at, you know, Micah McKelvin, Instagram, vapor ministries, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, if you want to check out the ministry, our webpage, vaporministries.org is a great way to do that. Uh, and, and the book is available, obviously, at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. Amazon's the main provider for it, and it's called Dying for Purpose, so you can check that out. Mm. Micah, thanks so much for spending time with us today. This was awesome. Hey, so glad to be here with you. Davey, that was Man. so good. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I think just his story alone, like, yeah. cause I'm thinking I have a 15 year old son. I have an almost 13 year old son, yeah. like going through Can this terrible that? surfing accident. No, I can't, I can't imagine it, mm. but that he used it. I mean, the right. Lord used it would like you talk about a lot. We talk about a lot to bring purpose from pain. Yeah. Well, and for him, this was kind of like a Jonah experience, you know, yeah. like even the imagery of it being, you know, ocean and the beat. You're like, I just mm-hmm. thought about, I mean, he was vehemently opposed to God's agenda for his life. He wow. was like outward, outwardly, like, I'm not going to right? that's not for me. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord's like, no, it is. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to strip away everything that you thought was your mm. agenda. And I'm going to mm. bring you on path now where you're, he's having an unbelievable impact and his mm. whole perspective has shifted because of his own suffering. And that can be true for all of us, right? Your perspective through this season of suffering that you're going through. And, and that'd be our prayer is that, that, that you would open yourselves up to go, God, how does my perspective need to shift here? Yeah. And how, and what kind of purposes can you bring out of this? Yeah, that's They're going to be good purposes for kingdom work. Yeah, I, totally, Davey. And and one of the things that one of the things that I think is so interesting about this this particular calling, mm. um, this particular ministry is here's what could have happened. Like, my there's uh, uh, Micah could have done. He could have started a like a surfing ministry. Yeah, he could yeah. have started a I mean there's all kinds of ministries that could have been born for this, but what's interesting to me is that he took um he he became aware of the suffering of others right. and then developed this love for people suffering around the world, right, people right. in situations of poverty. And so it like became bigger than what you yeah. you would think that it would have been. I don't know if that makes sense, but I no, think sometimes, especially sense. in the States, we're like, we have this idea of what we think, like platform, purpose, yeah. uh, uh, whatever needs to be. Yeah. And we kind of build yeah. it in a certain way that looks a little formulaic. And it may be like mm-hmm. God's done this thing in our lives, so now we're doing this. But it's like he he went bigger. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he broke the mold a little bit, and it yeah. just feels very... Just wonder, I guess, if we had that kind of kingdom perspective. Yeah. Um, rather than starting our own platform purpose, et cetera, what if we partnered with others? Or what if we thought bigger globally about the kingdom? Yeah. Like, it, right. It's like a, just a different perspective on, on purpose, I think. Yeah, over the past maybe 10 years plus, you know, because of the easy accessibility to you know, the technology avails us. Everybody has a platform. Right. So sometimes when we say like, how, how do you find purpose out of your pain? It's not that hard for someone to think through. Well, oh, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a podcast or I'm going right. to right. do this. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, yep. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, yes. And amen. That's 
good. That's fine. That's yes. what we did. That's what you know. Yeah. It's, it's but is there something? Is there something even bigger or grander that you can tap into? Right. Like yeah. Other than just kind of building your own platform uh-huh. to do. So- what, what is there another platform that you could tap into and you could provide some thrust around it because they're happen to do the same thing that you're doing, but yeah. rather than spinning your wheels for years and years and years and uh-huh. years and years, especially if you're not, there are certain like wirings of people and certain, mm-hmm. you know, giftings of people to start mm-hmm. something entrepreneurially and make yep. something happen and yep. right develop into something. And then other people have the giftings of coming alongside mm-hmm. and providing su- systems and support mm-hmm. for those things. Right. And I think it's really important to understand how are you wired? Yeah. What are the gifting? Again, you, we talked about, you know, J Robert Clinton and the making right. of a leader. Right. And he talks about this very thing. Mm-hmm. God's going to use your giftings and your, and he's going to infuse it with your great pain point, this dark night of the soul season that you go through, and it's going to bring you into this purpose, mm-hmm. but you have to be very aware of your giftings and your, so what does it look like to, to, instead of doing what everybody, it appears like everybody says that you should do and kind of building your own right. platform, right, right, building your own thing, right? Which again, mm-hmm. you said it's formulaic. It is very formulaic. I mean, mm-hmm. there are stories or not stories, books out there written. Yeah classes out there, online courses, right? Mm-hmm. To teach you how to build your own How do you platform. build your platform? Yep. How do you create an online course? How do you sell that online course? How do you do all these things, right? And you mm-hmm. can go that route and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And maybe you are called to go that route. Yeah, Praise God, God may be go blessing and that do for that. you. Yes. Right. But there are probably a whole segment of people that they kind of think that they have to default into that yeah. when it's like, God's going, why don't you, what, what would it look like to find somebody who's already doing that? Yes. And come alongside them and provide thrust. Yeah, with your gifts and your yeah. talents, like the ways I created, what if you partnered with them? Like, could the kingdom of God, you know, advance even right. more right. if we began thinking? And you know what's interesting to me, Davey? I think that's how the biblical writers would have thought about this too. Mm. Like, because they were so communal in their understanding. And I think we can be so individualistic yeah. in like, I need to build my platform. I need to do this. I need to. And again, God may be calling you to do that. We're not We're not right. down on that. Right. We're, go, you go for it if that's what God is calling you to do. But I do think the early biblical writers, the earliest followers of Jesus would have been like, wait, you're doing that yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to, no, we do this together. This We're a family. We together. Yes. We're like, we partner together to bring God's kingdom and bring right. glory to Jesus' name. And so I just, I, I don't know, I don't even know the question I'm asking. I just, I like that what he's doing, uh, and we can think about, we can think about our ministry, our platform differently. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and think of it in terms of like a, how do we do, how do we do this together? I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. How do we do this together? You know, we think about that a lot. Nothing is wasted. We're this whole community platform that we've launched and the things that we're offering there. We've got 30 coaches worldwide who are able to walk with you in ways that, okay, acknowledgement, right? Nothing is wasted. Ministry started from me, right? right? There was this, we had this podcast and there was this thing that we were, and there was a little bit of a platform that we're kind of sharing and it's great. We could just keep going that way. We could just yeah. keep building the Davy show. Yeah. That's not that's not gonna be helpful to all of you guys. Right. Because I right. only have a certain area of quote unquote right. expertise. Right. But I want you to go and watch Teresa Glantz in mm-hmm. her master class yes. on trauma because she is a trauma informed coach. Yes. And she has helped 
probably at this point, hundreds of people. That's what I was thinking. It's been hundreds of people. One-on-one coaching them through trauma. And I Mm -hmm. want to connect you to her, right? Yeah. I want to connect you to Jeff and Mackenzie Rollins and their masterclass that they just did on grief and loss because they are an expert at that. They lead people all over the country through child loss specifically, but grief is a major staple of what they do. Yeah. I want you to get connected to Aubrey. I want you to get, and that's like constantly what we're trying to think through is like, how do we get you connected to these other folks mm-hmm. because this is a we thing and we can go a lot further Yes, than what me right. can go. I know that wasn't grammatically correct. <laughs> I get that. But it was really good. good preaching material. Right? Yeah, it was. I was just thinking that. You could preach that. Uh, we is we greater than me. We can go further than me. That's really good. So you can find all of the resources we have for you. The coaches, Davies talking about the classes over at the community platform. You can also look at our Community Plus platform, which is um, at nothingiswasted.com slash community. Yeah. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And uh, we want to invite you to engage with us on social media. Yeah. We are at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. Yeah. And um, next week, Aubrey, we have a great conversation with Lizette Navis. And, um, you know, she, she lost her husband. He was killed in action. Mm. And, um, and so this is a special Memorial Day episode that we want to air for you. Um, and so make sure that, you know, you go ahead and invite your friends and family who maybe yeah. they've experienced a similar kind of a loss to be, um, eyes up for this episode. Yeah. You're going to really, this is going to minister to you like crazy. And I think it's going to give a lot of honor as well to the folks, um, who, who we've lost, um, fighting for our country. Hmm. And so so let's go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Lizette. I was sitting in a Bible study and the speaker, we were doing one of those video studies and the speaker had asked the question to us, what is your worst case scenario? Hmm. And as a military spouse, there, I mean, a spouse in general, there was yeah. just, I, I remember shaking and I didn't want to write it down. And I said, I don't, I'm not. And, and she asked again, she said, write it down. And so I wrote it down. I wrote down, you know, losing no. And as the video went on, she said, so what if your worst case scenario happened? Is God still good? 